Amen. Good morning, church. Hey, lots of new faces. So if you're new and you're like, who's this guy? Uh, I'm Simon. I'm one of the pastors here at Grace Hills Church, and we are so glad you've come to visit us this morning. Now, we have currently been in the book of 1 John. We just started last week. So if you're like, oh, no, I missed it, we taped the whole thing. And actually, if you are going to join us on the journey through 1 John, it might be good to go back, kind of watch that and see what we're, we're doing. But we landed in an interesting place. We're talking about the intimacy with God, and we encourage what does it mean to have intimacy with God? What does it mean to have fellowship with God. And we talked a lot about getting to know God, understanding who he is so we can dwell and think on those things. But then I think we might have failed you a little bit because we didn't give you any tools to help you do that. And so my wife being better than me, she said, hey, I've got a great idea. So what if we gave them journals that were based out of 1 John? And so what we have for you today is if you're a journaler, if you want to start on that study, we got these little books in the back. It's on a little pedestal back there. And inside, it is the book of 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. You're like, well, are we doing 2nd and 3rd? No, but you can do that when we're done. And so what it is, it's just got the passage on one side and just notes on the other. And so as we go through this journey together, we thought it would be so much fun to write down your thoughts, things that God's saying to you, maybe some areas where you have some questions, maybe some areas where like, I'm really confused about this. Then you can take that with you to the life group and say, oh, I was, I was reading this, and man, let's talk about this, or this is where God's been convicting me in my heart. And so we'd love for you to grab one of these on your way out and just start to use this as a way to build your intimacy and your relationship with God as we do that together, yeah? yeah? All right, hopefully that's exciting for you. Now, as we go into this next section, uh, I was thinking about some different things that were going on in my life that involved light and darkness, and I thought, too, when I was doing youth ministry, we had this event called the maze, and, you know, it's not complicated. It was a maze, but the maze was made out of washer, dryer, and refrigerator boxes. Maybe you had a, you've had a, had a child and your kids would crawl around in the box. So we would do that, but then multiply the three or four boxes by a thousand. And so we had literally thousands of boxes that we would tape together. It would take about an hour and a half crawling on your hands and knees to get through them. And the fun part was this. It was all in the dark. You're like, that doesn't sound fun at all. That sounds terrifying. But it was all in the dark, and it was so hard as you're like, I don't know if I should go left or right or what I should do or if it's up or down. But then inevitably, someone would show up with a flashlight and pop that thing on, and suddenly you could see everything. And everything made sense, and you could kind of figure out, oh, I should probably go this way, or I should probably go that way. Well, I share that story today because that's really what John wants to communicate with us. As we talk about this idea of growing in intimacy with God, he kind of lays out the idea that, that we can't have it if it's left up to us. If it comes down to us being the ones to create the intimacy with God, we don't have that power in and of ourselves, but he's going to show us that there is a problem. And just like trying to get through that maze, darkness was the barrier that kept us from getting through that maze to the ending. John's going to say the same thing, that darkness is the issue that keeps us from intimacy with God. 
And so what I'd love for you to do is a couple of things. We're gonna, we always read through God's word. We're always going verse by verse. And so um, if you're new and you're like, oh, I don't have a Bible. I've never read the Bible. I don't even know where to get a Bible. We have some in the back in the little lobby area on either side. They're ESV Bibles, the same one that we read from here. We'd love for you to grab one of those. And if you don't have one, take it home. It's our gift to you. You can follow along on your app, on your phone, whatever device, or you can just, you can just read and just sit and enjoy the day. So I'm going to go ahead and read right now. We're going to be in 1 John 1, 5 through 10, and that's going to be our text for this morning. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Let's go ahead and pray. Jesus, I thank you for this opportunity to come this morning and to really press into what does it mean to walk with a God who is light? What does that mean for our lives? What does it mean that as we have darkness in our life, as we have areas in our life that we are ashamed of, that we feel guilt in, and what that means to walk with you in intimacy? Lord, I know as we press into areas where there might be some um, tension in what does it mean to confess those things to a God who loves us, that you would go ahead and calm this room. Holy Spirit, that you would go before us, that you would give me words that would articulate uh, appropriately what you're saying this morning. And Lord, most of all, we want to praise you for who you are, that you are a God that loves and cares and pursues us, though we don't earn it or deserve it. We pray all these things in your glorious and amazing name. Amen. Now, as John is going to start to tell us in this section, it's the message that we heard from him. It's the message that we heard from Jesus. And really what he's saying here is this, that this is not stuff that we're making up. This isn't John's opinion on things. This is, this is what Jesus did. When Jesus came, when Jesus spoke, we're communicating the exact same message that he said. So listen up. This is actually from our Lord, our Savior, and it holds value. I talk with people a lot, and I love talking with people. Uh, I haven't met a stranger yet. I keep looking. I haven't found him or her, and so I love talking with people, and I talk about what's important in my life. We all do that, right? We talk about what we love most, and inevitably, I end up talking about God in some way, shape, or form, and when I talk with people about God, and inevitably, it kind of falls back on the Bible, there's a lot of different views on what the Bible's about and the purpose of the Bible. And as I talk with people, I say, well, the Bible is just an old text. It was written by old people in some language that we don't know. It's irrelevant to where we are today. Or, or I'll talk with people and they'll say, the Bible is the owner manual of your life. It's like a car manual. And then God's given you that to do that. Or it's how to be a really good person. Or it teaches us how to be really moral and, and how to act in society. And as I start to talk with them, you hear more and more that they look at the Bible as something that's about them. 
And it's their book about them. And, and as a pastor, as someone who loves other people, I have to lovingly tell them, like, well, that's not exactly what the Bible's about. That's, that's not exactly who it's written for. Like, you have to understand there's more going on here. And so if we were to go all the way back to Genesis 1-1 and just look at the first four words, what's it say? In the beginning, God. See, we don't think about it at times, but this is a story. This is a story, this is a book about God, the God of the universe, a being that has created everything that we see, everything that we know, all that's around us, and he loves his creation. And as his creation has turned its back on him, he loves them enough to pursue them and to show them that without him, there are major consequences in life that will lead to separation and death and pain and hurt that we weren't designed to bear, that we weren't meant to take on in our lives. And he's, he shows us this misconception that the story's about us. We think, oh, this is all about me. It's, it's not our story. This is God's story. Now, let me, let me try to paint a picture. So uh, a lot of us watch movies, and in the movies, you, you know, they, they scroll through the names, and it's always the most important people at the front, right? So as you look at the names coming up and who's starring in it, it would always say, like, this is this star, and this is this co-star, and, this is, and it shows all the important people. And if the Bible was a movie, we'd see really clearly the first name would be God, that God is the main character in the story of the Bible. And then we see, if we go in a little bit more, that the hero of the story is who? Jesus. Jesus becomes who they talk about all through the Old Testament and what he does when he enters the scene in the New Testament. Now, if we're looking at it this way, go, well, I'm in the story. And it's true, you, you, you would be in this movie. You would be an extra in the background behind four people out of focus. That's who you'd be in the movie. And you're like, and it'd be funny if you told your friends, hey, I'm starring in this movie. You should go see. And they're like, where were you? Like, I was that red blob in the back behind the garbage can. Like, I don't, I don't think it's about you. But that's what we have to understand that it's about God. See, the sooner we realize this, the more it unravels all the problems that we run into where we think everything is about us. And, and John wants them to know it's actually about God. Like what we're talking about, this idea of light, is that God is light. And he wants to unravel that so we can walk in that light. Now, verse 5 would say this. It says, <clears throat> excuse me, um, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. So the problem with intimacy is this idea that we all want it, but we don't know how to get it. And there's a barrier that holds it, and that's that darkness. But if you look at all other religions, it's based on this idea of trying to work in some way, shape, or form to do these things to earn favor with God. That's the, that's the bulk of most religions of the world, that I have to do these things, follow these rules, all these things take place, and if I do those, then maybe, possibly, God would be happy with me. John flips that upside down. He's like, yeah, we know you can't do those things. We know you can't reach God. We know you can't be what God has called you to be. And so he's saying that God is the one that does it. So he uses the term that God is light. See, it starts with God. 
The intimacy that we're looking for starts with God and who Jesus is. He's the solution to all the problems of this dark and broken world. Now, what does it mean that God is light? Is he just like this giant flashlight that hovers around and just shines light on things? That's not what it is. But when we talk about light, it stirs up a lot of different images, doesn't it? It stirs up a lot of like, what, what does light do? And I try to study it and you realize more and more, the more you study light, the more confusing light really is and what it does. But if you start to think about it, light sustains life, doesn't it? Light causes growth. Without light, we wouldn't have the growth that we have. Light helps us find our way when we're lost. It, it illuminates areas. Light can be used to protect. It drives away danger. Like when you're a small child and you're afraid of the dark, what do you want in your room more than anything? A nightlight. You gotta turn on the light. Can you crack the door? Can you let light come in? Because it makes sure that we don't see any things in our imagination in that room. See, light purifies. But surely and truly, what John is getting at is that when it's talking about God is light, he's saying that God is holy, that there is holiness attached to this God, and that there is truth that emanates from who he is, that he is perfect in every single way. And so there's nothing but truth in who he is. See, John wants the church to understand this idea that, that God is holy, that he's amazing, that he's immense, that he's all-powerful, that he's sinless, without error in any single way. As, as I was going through this week, um, I was going through a book that maybe some of you heard. It's not a new book. It's an old, it's an old book. It's called Knowledge of the Holy by A.W. Tozer. Really small. It's only about 105 pages long. If you've never read it, it's a great book. But the premise that A.W. Tozer wrote this book was on the idea that the church was losing its reverence for God and that it actually had a very low view and low opinion of who God is. And so he's like, well, I need to write a book so they'll understand how amazing God is. And he's like, I'm going to write it not like a scholar. I'm going to write it in everyday common language. So everyone would understand that people would get there. And, and here's the thing. You want to erode the church? You want to erode God's people? Give them a low view of God. Let them think that God's not that great, that God's not that powerful, that he can't do all that he is, that he's just kind of like you, maybe a little bit nicer or maybe a little bit grumpier, depending on how you were raised. And so he, he writes this book so we would understand. He wants the men and women that he loved to be captivated by this loving, all-powerful, just, and holy God. And what we have here is the first picture of contrast in the letter of John. We've talked a lot about contrast and even how we've developed our graphics are based out of contrast, that there's black and white there, that those are those things that take place. And so we're going to talk about today light and dark. And remembering that John is writing in a poetic way of writing, right? That there's symbolism behind all of these different things. And what we see is that light and dark is really holy and unholy, good and evil, truth and lies, righteous and unrighteousness, and perfection and brokenness. See, God is so different than anything in the universe. He's, and that's actually the term what holy means, right? Holy means set apart, special, unique, different, but in a good way, not different in a bad way. And he's saying that God is holy. If, if you look 
if you ever pay attention to the way that they describe God in the Bible, it's so funny because the English language doesn't have words to actually fully articulate who God is. It says, he was like, or he's like this, or he has the appearance of. It's like, this is the closest we can get to describing this amazing God that nothing is like. That he's like, he, he's kind of like the wind. He's kind of like the light. He's kind of like the. It's crazy to understand that we can't even truly articulate who God is because he's so different. Now, Knowing this actually changes how you move forward. When you start to have this high reverence for God and understand that he is all-powerful, almighty, all-knowing, having this truth set before us, it gives the structure of how life should work. If God is life, if God is truth, and he's saying, this is what would be best for you, we can trust that because there's no lie within that. And if he's the one who's created it, if he's the one that's designed it, then we should know, well, if anyone knows how life would work best, it would be the one who created it. See, he, he wants us to have this intimacy with him. But what he's saying is it starts with me. It doesn't start with us and what we do. It starts with what he does. See, the problem with fellowship is darkness. And this is where he shifts his writing to us so we would understand and how we interact with this God of light. And we always wonder, like, you know, when we talk about God and our relationship, like we say, what do, what do you bring to the, to the relationship? We bring one thing, darkness. We bring brokenness. We bring our junk. We bring our messed up parts of our life to that. If he is perfect and holy and pure in all ways, we bring our garbage. And verse six and seven is going to lay that out a little bit for us and what that looks like. It says, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk, walk in darkness, we lie And do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus' son cleanses us from all sin. Now, um, this is about where we walk. And so when we talk about walking, we're talking about how we live our life, what we do, what we say, how we think, the deeds we do. It's like, well, why would they use the term walking? As you're walking through, moving through life, this is what we do. What we believe is how we act. What we believe is what we'll do in life. Those are our core values of who we are. And so he says we're walking through life. And the problem is that we are in this really unique space where I think that I, I, I feel like I tell this to Christians all the time. And I always was like, wait, what? It matters how you live. God cares how you live. He he cares what you believe about him because that's how you're going to live your life. And we don't think about it. Well, grace, 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 grace. I can do whatever I want. No, he's like, there is a, a major cost for that grace. My son died on the cross so you could have that grace. You could have that freedom so you could be connected to me. Now, the problem would be is that we're surrounded by darkness. Now, we don't, we don't feel that all the time, do we? We don't think we understand the brokenness and the sin and the effects of sin on this world. Here's why. Because it's everywhere. It's it's everywhere we go. It's a part of every part of the culture that we exist in, that there is this darkness, this brokenness that's always there. It's, It's almost like we've become accustomed to it, and it's like, it's like a close friend that we've accepted as being okay with. I remember I, I used to ride motorcycles and dirt bikes, and I remember I, I, I was riding a bike, and my friend said, hey, let's switch. 
And I'm like, okay, I'll ride you a really nice bike. And as I rode, I'm like, oh, this is so nice. It's so wonderful. It's so powerful and comfortable. And he gets off my bike and goes, your bike is garbage. It is, this is the worst riding bike. I, I said, how do you even live with yourself? I'm like, I don't know. I, I'm just used to it. Let me, let me, let me paint the picture. It's, it's kind of like a fish when we're talking about darkness. You, you realize a fish doesn't know what water is? They don't know what water is. It's just what's around them. They've just always existed in water. It's not like they go, oh, yes, here's the water and the elements, what it makes up, and this is why I have gills. No, they just exist in it. The only time a fish understands what water is is when? When you take it out. And most fish, from what I understand, don't spend a lot of time out of the water until they feel the effects of not being able to process, process oxygen. They don't understand that. See, we don't always understand the darkness in our world because we're so entrenched. It's not until we come out of it a little bit or God exposes himself into it that we understand the darkness and what's going on. See, John wants to know if we, if we, if we are to have fellowship with God, but yet we continue to walk in darkness, it's saying that we're actually practicing, we're not practicing truth. Light exposes us. God exposes us. It shows us what we can't see. Now, everyone's got a different story when it comes to when they um, came to Christ and they understood him as their Lord and Savior, okay? Everyone's in a different spot in that area, and we're all in different journeys with that. Now, I remember when I was a young man, I, I just did a lot of things that I was really okay with. I had no problem cheating on tests. I had no problem maybe grabbing a couple extra bills out of the register. I had no problem, uh, you know, the way I spoke, the way I treated people. I, man, what are, what are speed limits? Those are just suggestions. Like, I, I would just do whatever I wanted. I would just kind of live for myself. I was a big liar, a manipulator, because it was about me. And, I, and I, I would brag about that at some time, like what I would do and how I would treat people and how I would act with other people. And I was totally okay with it. Slept like a log. Just great. Then I came to a place where I understood who Jesus was. And I came to a place where he had saved me. And I'm like, I get it. Okay, you are Lord. You are King. And then this weird thing happened. I started getting really uncomfortable with myself. I started going, I don't... I'm not talking about those things so much anymore. Those areas where I was bragging before, I'm starting to feel a bit of shame, a bit of regret, a bit of uh, an area I'm like, I don't, I don't like that. And I started to feel kind of dirty. And I, and I felt like there was something wrong with me. And there was parts of my life where I just felt gross and I had to make decisions. What would I do with those parts of my life? And you're like, why? What happened, Simon? The God of light showed up and exposed light in the dark areas of my life. And if he is holy and perfect and true, I was living lies in my life that were contrary to who he is. See, the, con the great contrast is that he is perfect and I'm not. And when he enters the scene and walks with me, he shows me the areas where I'm not living truth. The question is, what do you do with that? Like, as he's showing 
his perfection on my imperfection, I have to decide, will I continue? Will I stuff it down? Will I just kind of ignore it? And it wasn't like God was doing this because he's some horrible, mean God. It's like, ah, I hate you so much, I'm going to make you feel bad. No. He he did it because he loves me. It's the same way if you have kids, how you love your kids, and, and you let them know when they're walking in a way that they shouldn't be walking, when they're living in a way that they shouldn't be living, when there's areas of life that are broken, you're like, hey, honey, that's, you really shouldn't be doing that. That's what God is doing. When God shows up and he shows his light on our life, it's because he loves us. It's because he knows that this area is harmful. He knows that it's going to lead to destruction, that it's not going to end well. And here's the thing. Some of us respond like vampires, right? What's a vampire do? <sighs> Take it away! Or maybe it's like a teenage child in your home. Wake up! And they cover themselves up. I don't want the light. I don't want to be around it. I don't want to feel it. I don't want to experience it. And we try to reject the light in some way, shape, or form. Here's the thing. The more we walk with God, the more that light shines God can't help being God. God's like, I am truth. That's what I do. That's who I am. There's no way to not do that. He's like, I'm, I'm, I'm doing this because truth must be exposed. So if we keep living in this sin, in this brokenness, we're just lying. We're lying about who we really are. And what we're saying is that God is wrong. And what we try to do is we'll say things like, well, I'm, this isn't really a sin. I'm not a sinner. This really isn't a sin. Well, how I'm living my life is fine. It's okay. Um, I, it, it's not a big deal. God's probably okay with it. I think we've misinterpreted the text in some way. You know what we're trying to do? We're trying to bring God down to our level. We're trying to make God like us. You know what the problem with that is? He can't. Because he's sinless. God will never be okay with sin. God will never be okay with rebellion against him. Why? Because it's wrong, because he's truth. So, like, we try to bring him down. We try to make him like us. It's just not going to happen. We, we see from the Bible, it says that he has to judge sin because he is a holy and just God. And to clarify, like, here's the thing. We know we're going to make mistakes in life, right? Can we all just be really honest? We're going to mess up. We're going to make mistakes. Like, I'm still, I make, you're like, well, you're the pastor. You must be perfect. Ha <laughs> No, talk to my wife. Talk to my kids. they will tell you, I'm not. The reality is that we know that we're going to keep making mistakes in life. We know that that's going to happen. We're going to make wrong choices. The issue is this. What do we do with them when that light exposes that? How do we respond to this God of light when that takes place? Do you see it for what it is? Understand there's a problem and confess it and repent to God? Or do you lie about it? And what God calls wicked, you would call good. What the Bible says is harmful to you, you keep walking in. It's just like, it's okay. The idea is that do you just openly walk in sin and just this is okay. Or do you see it and go, this is a problem. 
I got to make some changes. I got to confess. I got to do something with this darkness. It can't exist with the light. And so if the light is that good, what do you choose? Do you choose that which is lesser or that which is greater? See why it's so important to have a high opinion and value of God? Because we think that he's lesser than what this darkness is at times. That's what's happening in our hearts. That's what happens in our minds. See, sin breaks intimacy with God. I talk to people a lot, a lot of Christians, like, I don't feel close to God. I don't feel like I uh, know God, or I don't, I don't feel the way that you feel about God. And I, it's not always the case, but I do ask this question. Are, are you walking in some kind of sin in your life that is breaking the intimacy with God that you desire? Is there something in your life that you're holding on to that's saying, this is okay, Simon. I love this thing. It's going to be good for me. It's going to take care of me. It's going to fulfill me. Because chances are in your life somewhere you are holding on to some kind of sin that you're saying it is okay, that needs to be rejected. If you desire the intimacy of God that you crave so desperately, God, let those things go. See, once we see that sin, we can't unsee it. Once we see that brokenness, that darkness, we can't unsee it. But it says if we walk in the light, that is if we walk in a way that trusts God and his ways, that we are in fellowship with him. Then it says this thing that seems out of place is that if we walk in that, then, then we have this weird... If we walk in that, there's this weird thing that happens. Like the natural progression of where this verse should go is that if we um, walk in the light, as he is in the light, we would have fellowship with God. But that's actually not what it says, is it? It says that if we walk in this way, if we walk in the light, that we have fellowship with who? One another. You're like, wait, what? With other crap. Like, what does that even mean? Like, I'm not following, John. What are you getting at here? Why, why would you make this jump that if we walk with God and have intimacy with God, that suddenly we're going to have with one another? Being in fellowship with God will always equal fellowship with others. It will always equal that. And I, and I say it a lot. I get a lot of flack for it. Uh, I'm going to keep saying it because, well, that's what God's word says, that you cannot be a strong, growing, thriving Christian if you're not in community with other believers. And when I say that, I'm talking about the church. You just can't. I've watched it too many times. As a matter of fact, we see over and over again in the Bible that the, like, being autonomous is actually a punishment over and over again in the Bible. Like, it's not good. We know that. We just experienced two years of it. Who was really excited about not having friends and being with your friends? This one guy's like, me, I hate people. Let's, let's talk. We'll talk later. We'll talk later. Still love you. Even if it's just a couple of people, you still want a few relationships, don't we? We know that being alone isn't good. God knows that. He's gone to great lengths to, to solve that problem. See, the word cleanses is in here because what happens is this. Um, there's a cleansing process that happens in our life, and as we understand that God is a God of light, and we want to live in that same way with others around us, so we want everyone to know this God that we love and we worship, it's this saying of birds of a feather flock together, right? That there is a, a bond, that there's a unity within those that love and worship Jesus, that they understand who God is, they understand that God is truth, they are trying to live in a way that reflects that as God exposes that darkness so we can let go of those things. And when someone walks into that community and they're saying that this sin is okay, we now have friction, don't we? 
We're saying, well, no, no, no. We all understand that this is who God is. But you're living contrary to that. You ever been around someone like that? They're like, no, it's totally okay. You're like, no, it's not. No, no, it's okay. No, it's not. (laughs) That's what's going on here. That as we walk with God and we agree on who God is, that he's a God of light, a holy and just and perfect God, that we can know that what he says is true, that we can believe him, that we can trust him. And when we live outside of that, there's a problem. Because here's the thing. We look at the church and we think, oh, a bunch of religious hypocrites. Well, maybe. But that's family. That the church was always meant to be people doing life together. We just got through the first third of Acts talking about what that looks like and that there was community, there was love, there was affection for each other. And that anytime you see a friend in a dangerous spot, what do you do? You want to press into that because you love them and you care about them. And so what happens is, as believers, we walk together, as as we're walking with God, we walk with each other shoulder to shoulder through this life. And as I see a friend that I care and love that's walking in a spot that's dangerous, I'm like, hey, man, that's dangerous. Like, you shouldn't be looking at that thing. You shouldn't be doing this thing. You shouldn't be talking to that person. And vice versa. It's hard to see our blind spots, isn't it? And God has given us each other as we all pursue God to encourage each other to live in such a way that reflects him to the world. John's going to show us what this even does. Who, who, who does this? How does this even work? Well, he says it's the blood of Jesus. Jesus' blood is what cleanses us. So again, who's it, who's it start with? God. He's always the one doing everything. Jesus is the hero. God is the main character. We... We deserve punishment for our sins. The Bible says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. For the wages of sin is death. So what ended up happening is while we deserve death because we had rebelled against God, because we've inherited sin from Adam, because the sins that we commit, because we're separated from God, there's no intimacy, that God did all the work, sent his son to live the life that we couldn't live. That's why it was so important that he lived a perfect, sinless life. He became a substitution for us. So as he saw us in our state, what we were earning with our lives, which is death, which is punishment, which is his wrath, he says, I love you so much. I'm going to send my son. He is going to die in your place. He's going to take the spot that you deserve. He is going to take the penalty. And so God didn't compromise anything of who he was. And he poured out the punishment that we deserved on Jesus. And that blood is what cleanses us. It's not our works, people. It's not our abilities. It's not about being a good person. It's about being forgiven by the God of the universe. That's the gospel message that God loved us so much that he died for us. That's the truth. How can you say that? It seems so mean. It seems so hard. Like It would be unloving. If this is true, it would be unloving for me not to tell you this. Well, good luck with your separation from God. I hope that wrath thing works out. No, I, I care enough to say, I believe this with all of my heart. And I want you to know that there is a God who has saved you from the punishment that is awaiting every single individual without the blood of Jesus. And for anyone that would call on the name of Christ, they would be saved. Now, here's the other thing that John wants to really press into and clarify as we kind of start getting towards the back of uh, the sermon here. There are those who may be saying, well, my sin is not really that big of a deal. It's not really sin. And so we try to bring God down to our level. There's another side of the coin with this problem. It's that if we say we have there is no sin in my life. That we're, so if we say, well, I'm just not a sinner. Sinless perfection, that's me. We're trying to bring ourselves up 
to God's level. You see, we can't bring him down to our level and make him a sinner, and we're not holy, so we can't go to where he is. So we have this huge problem. They're both equally wrong. And there are people that do believe that if I work really hard, I can be perfect. I can be there. There's a great story by Charles Spurgeon. Uh, Prince of the pulpit is what he was known as. And he gives this sermon talking about some of the men. He said, hey, I just want you to know, uh, Pastor Spurgeon, I am now sin-free totally. He's like, wow, that's amazing. You need to come over to my house for dinner. And so they're having dinner and they're talking and they're enjoying a lovely meal. Spurgeon stands up, grabs a cup of water, throws it in his face. And the guy's like, what is wrong? And just starts berating and yelling at him. He's like, ah, you see, the old man wasn't dead. He just needed to be revived. And all it took was a glass of water. Doesn't take much for us to go back to the old self, does it? There is no way that this sinless perfection takes place. And, and here's the thing that we need to understand. If we're saying this, He's saying that you're making Jesus a liar. What would that mean? Well, that would mean that if you could be perfect without sin, that makes God a horrible father to just have his son tortured, doesn't it? And if he's a liar, what does that make Jesus? Sinful. And if he's sinful, he can't be the perfect substitution and live the perfect life that we couldn't live, which means our salvation is null and void. Do you see, he's, he's fighting the very idea of the Gnostic teaching that was going on and how that wasn't going to work. This idea that there's this light inside of you. That's what we talked about last week. And he's, and he's saying, no, there is a light, but it's not you. We are full of darkness. And he's saying, the only way that we can have that light is when we give our life to Christ and the Holy Spirit comes and takes residency in our heart. That is the light that we have. It's God's light, not our light. That's what he's saying. So we can't bring God down to our level. We can't go up to God's level. So we have a big problem. But what we need is someone that is holy enough to go up to God's level and someone that understands us and has been at our level. We need a mediator. We need someone who understands both sides. And that man's name is Jesus. He was fully man and understand every Thing that we've ever struggled with in this world. He's felt it, he's experienced it, and he can represent us. But it says he's also 100% fully God. So he understands God's side as well, and he can bridge the chasm, the gap that we don't have the ability to get past. And it says that he is faithful and just to forgive us, because he calls us to one thing. What is the one thing that we get to do in this? Here's our one action point. If we confess our sins, that's what we do. And by doing that, you know what we're doing? Instead of taking a seat of pride and saying, I can do it, I can be really good, I'll pull up my bootstraps, I just gotta work harder at this thing. Saying, no, you take a position of humility saying that you can't and that he did. See, it's not until we can take a position of humility that we can realize that Jesus is the reason why we have anything to brag in, any righteousness, any holiness, anything that comes from us. It's from Christ and Christ alone. He is the one that it starts with. He is the one that it finishes with. See, we, we, we can understand that we, we can't be perfect, that we're going to sin. And, and here's the thing that someone told me once, and I just, it kind of blew my mind. So do you realize that Jesus died for your past sins? I'm like, well, I get that. There's lots of those. He's all, for your present sins, you're like, well, there might be a few of those that I'm thinking of. But then he said this phrase, 
and he died for your future sins. And I remember going, 10 years from now, there's a sin that I haven't even thought of that Jesus died on the cross so I could continue to have peace and intimacy with him. And as I walk with him, when the time comes, his light will expose that and he will say, and I died for that too, Simon, because I love you. That's mind-blowing. That's the breadth and the width and the depth of the love of God and what he's done to create a relationship with you. And so what I want to do today as we kind of get towards you, I want to ask some questions. I, I love talking about God's word, but I've always found if I can't figure out how it connects to my life and what it does to change me, it was more of just watching the history channel, right? I want to make sure we understand, like, this word is meant to transform us. It's meant to change us. God is interacting with us, and he wants us to respond to him in some way. The first question is this. Are there areas in your life that you're comfortable with darkness? Are there areas in your life that you're comfortable with darkness? Are there areas in your life where you are, you're sinning and you're just okay with it? And maybe you've kind of lied to yourself for a long time. Which is the second question. Are there things that God has called sin that you're calling good? Like God's word says this. You're like, no, 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 no. If I do this and I change this Greek word and I do this and I, I get there, I can get there. Oh, come on. God's, he's given us his word so we can understand him. There's clarity here. It's, it's, not, it's not rocket science at times. Are you calling God a liar? Are you lying about the truth? Are you in conflict with other Christians about sin? Is there an area in your life where that just kind of is like you're walking with other Christians, you're walking with other believers, and there's just this thing that's going on. They keep bringing up, you're like, no, 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 it's fine. No, 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 it's fine. No, no, it's okay. That's an indicator that there might actually be a problem in your life. There's, a, there's an indicator that this broken relationship with others is actually a reflection of the broken relationship between you and God. See, when we break intimacy with believers, we're breaking intimacy with God as well. It, it goes both ways. We have to start understanding that. Are you becoming increasingly aware of sin that keeps you from fellowship with God? Is it an end point or is it a journey? And with the end point, we do is we go, oh, I finally did it. I'm perfect. I'm good. I'm holy. I'm righteous. I'm the, I'm the guy. No, you're not. Or is it the more you walk with God, the deeper in relationship you go, because of his great love for you, he keeps exposing more areas to make you more and more like his son. We use this big term called progressive sanctification. It's the process of becoming more and more like Jesus in everything we do, say, think, and act. And that light exposes all those areas. You know what it ends? When you take in your dirt bath. That's when it ends. When you die is when it ends, right? But until that point, we are constantly walking through life dealing with all of this stuff. Do you think that you're sinless now and that you don't need Jesus? By the way, that is a great lie from the devil that wants you to believe that more than anything. Like, are you making him a liar? And then this is really the one I want us to like, if any of those things resonate, if any thoughts or ideas popped in your head as, you were, as we were going through those things, I would ask this, is there something in your life that you need to confess today? 
It might be a habitual sin that you've been walking in for a long time, that you've, you've kind of kept it hidden. Maybe you've thrown a blanket over it, hoping that God's light wouldn't shine on it, but it has. Confess that. Lay that down. Maybe it's for the first time you realize who Jesus is and what he did and who God is in relation to that. And maybe it's the first, the first confession is that, Lord, I'm a sinner and I actually need your son. I need to place my life in the son's life so I would be saved for the first time. Maybe that's what you need to do today. But I would say this, you were brought here today for a reason. There is no such thing as coincidences. That God loved you and wanted you to hear this message for some reason. As poorly as I may have communicated it, he wants you to hear this message. And he wants you to act on it. We are not promised tomorrow. Can we just own that right now? We don't have any guarantees about tomorrow. And if we've seen anything over the last two years, we see that anything can happen at the drop of a hat that should open our eyes to the reality that we have today. And if God is speaking to you today, do not put it off. Do not push it away. Do not reject it. See, walking with God means that he loves you so much, that he cares about you so much, that he wants you to know truth. He wants you to know truth, he wants you to love truth, and he wants you to live truth. He doesn't want you to be false because he knows that that is harmful to you. See, that's the thing. We don't understand lies because if we did, we wouldn't do them, would we? We don't understand where lies lead. I remember when I was a kid, I thought I knew everything. Man, the older I got, the smarter my parents got. And I would be like, no, that's fine. I can do that. I don't, I don't understand why that's a sin. I don't understand why that's a problem. I don't, I don't get why that's harmful. You add 10, 20, 30, 40 years to a choice back then, you go, that was the dumbest thing I could have done. That was foolish. I did not understand the ramifications that that choice had to my friends, to my now wife, to my kids, to how I have made financial decisions, anything you can think of. And we look back, we all have those, right? You go, I wish I wouldn't have done that. That was so foolish. I heard truth, I rejected it, I believed the lie, and it led to this. God loves you enough to say, no, I love you. And he's calling you, trust him. He made everything. So this means that this Christian life is the closer we get to God, the more light he shines in our life and the more darkness that we're going to have to confess and lay down. And really what we're saying is we're rejecting it. As God exposes it, our response as Christians is to reject those lies because he's bringing us into intimacy with him through his son. Let me go ahead and pray. Jesus, I thank you for this opportunity to just open your word. I know that as last night I was praying through this and I was asking for your guidance on this and I was even laying my life open to your word and asking for you to shine light in areas of my life that you were shining light in little nooks and crannies that I didn't understand were there. Lord, I know that there's men and women here today that um, maybe they haven't really pressed into this and they're just kind of hoping that that thing would go away or stop or it would never be exposed but today is a day that maybe you open their eyes for the first time. I ask that you would continually press into them as we walk in this journey. Lord, I just want to encourage people to understand who the God of the universe is. Let us, let us walk in the light. Let us live a life that reflects you. Transform us into more of your son. Let us confess what we have sinned 
Let us know that you will forgive us because you are a good and loving and just God. Pray these things in your glorious and amazing name, amen.